0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, grab your Bible and flip to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Uh, you can use the Black Pew Bible, or if you receive that, one of those notebooks, just flip to the first page. We're going to be finishing uh, chapter one today. As you get there, how many of you have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis? Okay, yeah, that's a few of you. Um, how about, how many of you watched the movie? <laughs> okay, that's a lot more. So most of you are probably at least a little familiar with the story, but just to catch us all up, in the book of, in the book C.S. Lewis introduces us to a world called Narnia. It's a world that was once beautiful, but has grown cold and dark. In fact, it's, it's always winter, never spring, and never Christmas, And some of you who hate winter can relate to the experience of Narnians in the opening chapters of the book. But things started to change when four children uh, from our world find a way into Narnia through a wardrobe. As these children start to get to know Narnia, they learn that it has been winter for over a hundred years. Things have been dark and evil has been reigning over the land and hope is all but lost until these four children four four of them two boys two girls appear in narnia and and there's a prophecy that all narnians knew a prophecy that gave them a glimmer of hope the prophecy said that before deliverance would come two sons of adam and two daughters of eve would appear this means with their arrival deliverance was around the corner Uh, these children were not the hope but they became messengers of hope the hope the one who would bring spring and end the reign of evil with someone else a lion named aslan uh, the lion would restore everything that was broken in fact uh, the old narnians had a poem had a poem that said said this wrong will be right when aslan comes in sight at the sound of the roar sorrow will be no more When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. So you see, these kids bring hope not because they are awesome, but simply because they are harbingers of hope. They prepare the way for the real hero of the story. And just like the story of Narnia, in our passage today, we're going to meet a messenger, John the Baptist. But the story is not really about John the Baptist, because John is not the deliverance. He's just the harbinger. He is there to point us to Jesus. And if last week we heard about the word, the meaning and reason of life, the light in the darkness, the Messiah, today we get to see him. We get to experience him, and and he will blow us away. So let's dive in. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 19, it says, "And, And this is the testimony of John, and when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? So here we get introduced to the messenger named John. And we know this from last week that this is John the Baptist. The religious leaders have sent a group of priests and Levites to interrogate him. And John the Baptist was making noise, and the religious leaders wanted to know who he was. They wanted to know where he came from, and ultimately, what was his message? And so they asked him right away, who are you? And he kindly responds, in verse 20 says, He confessed, and, did, and he did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. This is like if you came up to me after the service, you shook my hand and said, who are you? And I answered, I'm not a football player. You would look at me confused. John answers this way because he knew who he wasn't. And while you would never mistaken me for a football player, John knew that others might think he was the Christ. And he wanted to kill that lie right away. He knew that others might think he is the Messiah, so he explained it very well, confessed, in fact, that he is not the Christ. He confessed that he's not the anointed one. He confessed that he's not one true Messiah. The conversation continues, and they ask him, What then? Are you Elijah? And this question seems random to us. <laughs> But the Jewish community, John the Baptist was Elijah's look-alike. John the Baptist had followed Elijah's Instagram account and is dressing just like him. Just listen to this in Matthew three four. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food and, and his food was locusts and wild honey. In other words, he was a hipster before hipsters existed. But really, it wasn't John the Baptist as a trendsetter it was elijah in second kings 1a we read they answered him he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist and he said it's elijah the tishbite twins or what right like uh he but but it wasn't just that they looked alike they dressed alike uh, but they both also preached the message also preached the message of repentance repent and be baptized and on top of all of this right uh, Malachi in four, chapter 4 verse 5 said, Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So they look alike, they dress alike, they said similar things. And Malachi said that before the great and awesome day of the Lord, Elijah will be back. And if you remember, remember when we were in the series in the Minor Prophets, you remember that the day of the Lord often referred to the arrival of of the christ so people are expecting elijah to come back before christ comes so you see after getting some background information their question is not that weird but john replied i'm not elijah so they keep questioning him are you the prophet notice that the question is asking if he's the prophet not a prophet this question is asking if he's the messiah again And John again answers that he is not. And at this point, the religious leaders are confused. So they say to in verse 22, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who send us. What do you say about yourself? And John said in verse 23, he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the people, as as the prophet Isaiah said. So this comes from... uh, Isaiah chapter 40. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And the thing about Isaiah 40 is that the first 39 chapters, Isaiah talks about the judgment of God and how God will send his people into exile. And quite frankly, They are pretty depressing uh, words, but chapter 40 cuts into the gloom with sudden hope. It it talks about a voice that that will come and proclaim that God himself is returning. God himself will restore what is broken. God himself will reconcile sinners to himself. And John is saying that he's the voice. He is a voice proclaiming that God is coming. He's preparing the way for someone greater than he is. Notice the humility here that John shows in his answer. He doesn't elevate himself. Uh, he, He doesn't make himself sound awesome. He could have said, I'm the last of the Old Testament prophets. My birth was declared to my father by an angel. The Holy Spirit empowered me for this particular mission when I was still in my mother's womb. The Son of God called me the greatest man ever to walk the face of the earth. Instead, he said, I'm the voice. I'm a voice in the wilderness. This is not about me. This is not, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. This is about someone who is much greater than me. In fact, in verse 27, he says, The one who's coming is someone whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. So John moves this conversation away from himself and points to Jesus Christ. John is a voice. He is humble because he knows he's not the main event, but a witness to the main event. He is pointing to the true Messiah. And we also are called to be witnesses, but we're not the main event. But pride often gets in the way. Why? Why? Because by nature, we're self-centered. By nature, uh, we want the glory. I want the glory. I want to be noticed. I want to be liked. I want to be cool. Uh, We check and recheck how many likes our posts get on Instagram and Facebook. We care about how many views we get on our stories. And those stories expire every 24 hours. We want people to witness us. Cause by nature we are self-centered but john is the opposite of that he's pointing away from himself he's the definition of humility tim keller in his book the freedom of self-forgetfulness says that the essence of humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself but it is it is thinking of myself less and so, the only way to take the focus off of ourselves is to be totally delighted by someone else. To be so consumed and raptured by Jesus that he becomes the focus of our attention. And that was John. He was enthralled by Jesus, he was a voice pointing to someone else. And we meet this someone else in verse 29. Look what John says in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there's a lot going on in this one phrase. And uh, not only does it take us back to the Old Testament, but it tells us exactly who Jesus is and what he is coming to do. So first this reference takes us back to back to the passover a holiday that the jews celebrated every year to remind them of a time when god's judgment passed over them we see the initial passover in exodus when god was going to free his people from slavery to the egyptians but in order to do this he told his people to choose a lamb kill it and wipe its blood on the doorpost of their homes Because the Egyptians refused to free his people, God was going to send death to every firstborn in every house in Egypt unless the doorpost of the house was marked by the blood of the lamb. So so death missed. It passed over God's people because they were marked by the blood of the lamb, and the Egyptians let God's people go free. So each year, God's people would remember the story and remember their great deliverance. And they would sacrifice a lamb to remember that the lamb died instead of us. And also, John's dad, John the Baptist's dad, was a priest. And John would have seen the lambs killed at the temple daily. Each day, two lambs were killed, one in the morning, one in the evening. Not only they would have seen this, but his dad would return home with blood-stained clothes from the slain lambs. The reason they slaughtered lambs daily is because the lamb's death was necessary because of sin. Blood must be shed for sin to be forgiven. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So part of the sacrificial system was that you bring a sacrifice for your sins. And so when John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he is saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God who will die in our place, and his death will give us life. The reason they did this is because of sin. But who brings sin to the table? We do. Sinners do. do. And God provided a way for sinners like you and me to be forgiven through His Son. In fact, He became the great substitute. Jesus died in our place. We deserve to die, but Jesus died instead of us. He took our sin upon Himself, He gave us His righteousness. This is this great exchange. That's how we are adopted into God's family, that's how we are purified. Not because we did something, but because Jesus is the Lamb of God who purifies us. when Jesus died on the cross, he exchanged his life for ours, but it wasn't just that the Lamb of God also satisfied the demands of justice. You see, our sins demand punishment, but Jesus took that punishment upon himself, our death demand God's wrath upon us, and Jesus took that wrath upon himself. Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, But God showed his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And that's the good news of the cross for us. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is our substitute. He takes the punishment so that we who deserve punishment will be passed over. So after making this huge statement about jesus john goes on to say a few other things he says this in verse 30 this is he whom i said after me comes a man who ranked before me because he was before me and we talked about this last week even though jesus was born six months after john the baptist and and started his ministry later jesus will always be first because he was there from the beginning he was there at creation he was there before creation This is once again speaking of Jesus as the one who was there at the very, very beginning. Jesus created the universe out of nothing, and he holds everything together, and everything is made by him and for him. So then John continues, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Uh, The thing is, uh, John the Baptist, of course, knew Jesus. They, They are cousins. What he means is that he didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah here, who takes the sins of the world until it was revealed to him. What was revealed to him? That's the next verse. Verse 32 says, And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the holy spirit this is another old testament reference that we may not recognize right away but the prophet after prophet promised that the davidic king who would come and make all things new would be immersed in the holy spirit just think of like isaiah 61 that says the spirit of the lord is upon me and that's the exact verse that Jesus read when he started his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. John, seeing this, seeing the Spirit of God falling on Jesus, he knew the prophecies of the Scripture, and he knew what, uh, what that meant. He knew that Jesus is the Messiah who will take away the sins of the world, and this is confirmed and affirmed Christ as Messiah. And he says this in verse 34, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John is a voice, Uh, he is the witness because Jesus is the Messiah, because Jesus is Christ, because Jesus takes away the sins of the world, because Jesus is the Son of God. And so the thing is, how do we respond to this truth? How do we respond to this truth? First, let's look how others responded. Verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. So basically, John repeats himself and look what happens. Thirty-seven. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. I, I think this is what often happens after we hear the gospel, right? We hear the truth that we are sinners, and Jesus is the one who takes those sins away. And what do we do? We follow him. Look at the conversation uh, in verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Uh, Basically, Jesus turns around and says, What do you want? the disciples of john the baptist they heard john describe jesus as the messiah they heard john say that he is the foreshadowing of the one to come and that jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world and they are following or they follow jesus and jesus says what do you want so for john the writer of this gospel anyone who comes to jesus has to answer this question what do you want Sure you, you you may have grown up in a Christian family. Sure you may heard all these glorious names of Christ. Sure you hear that Jesus takes away the sins, your sins away, but what do you really want? Why are you coming to him? What is he here to provide for you? Is he just a genie that provides a good life for you? Is he just an add-on in, in your life, a bonus? Jesus wants to know, what do you want? Uh, This question is the first thing out of Jesus' mouth in the book of John. Uh, That's the first thing he says. And then they talk for a second, and Jesus says to them, come and see. In other words, come and follow me. Come and see the truth about me. Come and experience the Messiah. Come and learn under me come and copy the details of my life come and see how I am the lamb of god and look at what happens verse 40 one of those who heard john speak and followed jesus was andrew simon simon peter's brother he first found his own brother simon and said to him we found the christ uh, the messiah which means christ he brought him to jesus jesus looked at him and said you are simon the son of john You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I love what Andrew does. He interacts with Jesus. He is following Jesus. He is learning from Jesus. And as he's seeing Jesus as the Messiah, he runs and instantly runs and tells his brother about this. He runs and tells Peter that they found the Messiah. You see, following Jesus doesn't only change your life, but it opens your heart to tell others about him. I ask this question, how do we respond to Jesus and his message? That We follow him, we imitate him, and we tell others. Why? Because Jesus is the only one who takes your sins from you and gives you his righteousness. And when you experience this, when you experience true salvation, when you receive the light, when you experience, experience your, when you experience it breaking into your darkness, when you experience true adoption, when you receive the Spirit of God, you can't hold it in. You want to tell others. Look, this repeats itself over and over. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Right, So it's repeating. It's repeating. Then verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So Philip is actually now repeating what Jesus said to him. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are King of Israel." Jesus answered him, "Because I said you, I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these." So you see, immediately upon following Jesus, Philip goes and tells Nathaniel. Just the same way Andrew went and found Simon, right? So Andrew tells Simon, Philip goes and tells Nathaniel. And so when Jesus changes us, when we believe in the Son of God, when we when we see who Jesus truly is, we, we tell others. It overflows. We want to tell others. I want to end on this note today. I want to end on what Jesus says to Nathaniel about himself. So up to this point. Up to this point the person telling us about jesus was john the baptist but now we hear from the mouth of jesus in verse 51 and he said to him truly truly i say to you you will see heaven open and the angels of god ascending and descending on the son of man son of man Here's what Jesus is saying to Nathanael. You are a Jewish man who knows the story of Jacob. Jacob was an important figure in the Old Testament, one of the descendants of Abraham who stole the birthright from his brother Esau. He was scared of Esau's wrath, so he ran. When he ran away, he traveled 43 miles across the wilderness. You can imagine how worn out and tired he must have been after that. And so let's pick up the story of Genesis 28:11, And he came to a certain place stay there that night because the sun has set taking one of the stones of the place he put it under his head and laid down in the place to sleep so he must have been exhausted right like uh, if he could sleep on the rock like i remember days where i was camping and sleeping on the ground and i would wake up and i and my every bone in my body would hurt but yet he slept on the rock it shows his exhaustion and in that moment, in that moment, I I can imagine how alone Jacob must have felt. That moment, I, I can just only imagine his mom, whom he loved deeply, is back home. His brother is chasing him to kill him. He is tired, and, and I'll say he must have felt pretty lonely. But God gave him a vision. God loved him and com- comforted him. In verse twelve, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of god were ascending and descending on it this is a dream that jesus is referring to when he's talking to nathaniel when jesus what jesus claims about himself is that you will see the heavens open and ascending and descending on me will be angels jesus is saying in jacob's dream i'm the ladder that stretches from heaven to earth he is declaring that he is God who comes to earth. And not only is he God who comes down to earth, but he's also is saying, through me you have a way to God. He's letting us on his purpose for coming. He will lay himself down between men and God, making a way for us to approach the Father so john the baptist was right jesus is the lamb of god who takes the sins of the world he is the atonement lamb who purifies us so that we can come boldly to god's throne so upon hearing this message the people in this passage didn't have a neutral response they wanted to follow jesus and this is the invitation for us today upon hearing that jesus is your righteousness that he takes away your sins that he came down to earth to lay down his life for you what will you do with it will you surrender your life and follow him or will you reject him and keep living the way you want jesus question for all of us is the same what do you seek What do you want? Let's pray.